Light of Infinite. When John Batiste won the well-deserved Grammy for Best Album, his speech was beautiful. He got up there in such an idol way and shared, Wow, thank you. You know, I really, I believe this to my core. There's no best musician, best artist, best dancer, best actor. The creative arts are subjective, and they reach people at a point in their lives when they need it most. It's like a song or an album is made, and it almost has a radar to find the person when they need it the most. I mean, I'd like to thank God I just put my head down and I work on the craft every day. I love music. I've been playing since I was a little boy. It's more than entertainment for me. It's a spiritual practice. And there's so many people that went into making this album. My grandfather's on the album. My nephews, my dad is here. My executive producer, Ryan Lynn. Come here, man. I don't want to just be up here by myself. I didn't do it by myself. Then Ryan Lynn, who lives in my neighborhood, comes up wearing a kippah, hugs John, and sits right back down. It was a beautiful moment, a kiddush Hashem. What John shared is true. Music and experiences and lessons do reach people in their lives when they need it the most. That's the very definition of Hashkacha Prati, divine providence. A few days ago it hit me. I thought, faith fuels the future. Fear stirs the past. When we experience something or resonate with something that speaks to an experience we are going through, it's human emotion and connection that validates some of our own hurt and healing. With that validation, we can realize everyone goes through it. And as Nas reminds us, you got to appreciate the moment. Bad times don't last. We have to lean into faith that the heavy moments pass and open us up to a newer and better path. Faith in the future also brings the future we want. If we resist, we are blocking possibilities. But when we open ourselves up to the infinite possibilities that we are often too blinded by the past to actually see, then we can actually manifest better for ourselves. It's when we stir in the past that fear blocks the infinite goodness that the future holds. When in this parasha, this Torah portion, Hashem mentions keeping His statutes as a way of the rain to fall for us, it's because the rain is already for us, but for it to rain down blessings, we need to be open to it falling. Previously, we covered the importance of releasing control and connecting, this being the purpose of Shabbat and Shemitah. This week, and now with Parshat Bechukotai, my statute, we learn how to connect and how this unification brings blessings. It's funny because thinking of John Batiste's synchronicity and listening to Kendrick Lamar's new album, which has been speaking to me on many levels, I can't help but think of the chorus of Die Hard. Imagining it being a response to the very first psukim verses of this parasha, this Torah portion, singing out to Hashem, I hope I'm not too late to set my demons straight. I know I made you wait, but how much can you take? I hope you see the God in me. I hope you can see. This Torah portion spells out the blessings that await if we follow what Hashem has laid out for us so clearly. If we focus on the part of us that is the godly soul, but it also spells out what can happen if we disconnect from our godly soul and become slaves to our animal soul. As it's written, if you follow my statutes and faithfully observe my commandments, I will provide you with rains in their season. This is a curious verse since if the purpose of it is to teach us to keep the mitzvot, the commandments, then wouldn't it suffice to say follow my statutes? It would seem superfluous to add keeping Hashem's commandments. This is a question by Sifri, as stated by Vashi. The answer is that there is keeping the mitzvot, the commandments, and the action of doing or not doing what is commandment, as the mitzvot aseh, the commandments to actively do, and the mitzvot lotaseh, the commandments to not do. The verse is meant to cover both the studying of the Torah and its mitzvot, as well as keeping them lishma for their own sake and for the sake of giving delight to Hashem, our Creator. Mitzvot are divided into three categories, chukim, mishpatim, and edot. In the Pasuk, in the verse, it's written, b'chukotai, which is the name of this parasha, and has the root of chukim. Chukim are the mitzvot 
for which no reason is given, and we cannot rationalize. These are a distinct minority in the Torah. The overwhelming majority are of the other two categories, as the Torah was given in a way for human beings to comprehend. The most enigmatic of these chukim is the ritual of para aduma, the red heifer, which was used for ritual purification. Mishpatim are the rational mitzvot, and even without the Torah, they would eventually surface as the only sustainable societal precept. This includes the commandments against theft and murder. Edot are the mitzvot that are dedicated to remembering events and or ideals. This includes observing the Shabbat as a reminder of Hashem's creating the world, just as Pesach is a reminder of the exodus from Egypt. These are not practices we would have necessarily thought of ourselves, but they are logical, unlike chukim that are beyond our comprehension. Interestingly, it happens to be in Parshat Mishpatim that I wrote, it seems that we are all in various states of divine disconnect. Some might even say spiritually sick. We attempt to heal, but it's a long journey and often feels impossible. When we attempt to heal our physical selves, it's much in the same way of doing and then hearing, seeing and understanding. When a doctor prescribes the medication we need to heal ourselves, we take it in good faith. We don't first go to a medical school, researching every element of it and only take the medication afterwards. If that were the case, we would remain sick, no doubt getting worse and worse. We take it in faith because it benefits our physical selves and isn't contingent on our knowledge of its inner working. In fact, by taking it, we could start to see clearer, feel better, and get a better understanding of how the medicine helped. It's the same with our spiritual selves. The more we are in the space of Naseh Nishma, we will do when we will listen. With the mitzvot, the commandments, the more elevated our spirit, and by virtue of that, our physical selves will be. That's the emphasis on Bechukotai and Chukim, as even the mitzvot that we cannot rationalize or comprehend, even those we must follow. For in those we can show our full faith, connect and reap the benefits both in this world and in the next. In Likotei Torah, the Alter Rebbe interprets the term Bechukotai as related to the word Chakika, which means engraved. This is meant to teach us that not only are we commanded to keep the mitzvot, but we have to labor in the study and learning of the Torah until it's engraved within us. And though independent of the parchment, they become united with the parchment. That's the process of continuing the tradition of writing the Torah. Engraving on a deeper level is where the letters are not an independent entity, as they cannot be separated from the object they have been engraved into. The two become one, and that's what Bechukotai is about. It's when we become one with the Torah that is Hashem in this world. In the last podcast, I was going back to the beginning of Tanya where it touches exactly this point of chapter 4, section 2, merging with God. Chapter 4 discusses the importance of the outer self, the garments of ourselves we express through thought, speech, and action. And it stresses the importance of it as completing the inner self, which is intellectual and emotional conviction. To simply love and revere Hashem is not enough. The Chukotaya comes to teach us the importance of expression, not only word and action, but through Devekut, a clinging, which comes from a true understanding. The Zohar teaches that the Torah and God are totally one. The Altar Rebbe expounds on this, stating that the Torah, which seems to be a glimmer of the divine, is actually the wisdom and will of God, and so it is completely one with God himself. It seems counterintuitive for an infinite light to be one with a finite element on earth, given for us, but that's what infinite transcendence is. As the Ramam says, he and his wisdom are one. Hashem is simultaneously the knower, the power to know, and the known. When Kendrick Lamar's song pleads, I hope you see the God in me, it's alluding to the fact that we are all made in God's image. And if we could remember that, we can engrave ourselves with Torah, and the parasha insists we become unified with our source. We could become light and see the light in each other, and that brings blessings to all of us. But this is only done when we tap into and focus on the part of us that is godly and not the garments of that which is animalistic. 
Rabbi Nachman of Breslov reminds us that the purpose of this life is to uplift the physical and animalistic part of ourselves to serve our spiritual selves. And the first Pasuk, verse of our parasha, immediately following the reminder to keep Hashem's commandments, we are told that blessings will follow. One can ask, why the material blessings for the spiritual pursuits? Why bless the body for the achievements of the soul, if the soul is more important and a separate entity? The answer lies in the realities of this world, and that the soul cannot contain the spiritual heights by itself. In this world, it needs the body. The body is the garment that facilitates its elevation. It's indeed the only way for a person to remain in the physical world while engaging in spiritual devotion. It's the delicate balance of Ratzo Veshov, which means to run and return, which we covered a few weeks ago with Acharaimon. The physical act of eating keeps the body and soul together so that the spiritual growth can take place. Rabbeinu teaches that if a person strives to find Hashem and is worthy, the person's eating can elevate them to a level of desire and will for Hashem that transcend many other spiritual attainments. And in such a case, the person's physical desires not only support their spiritual longings, but actually mirror them. As it's written, But if you do not listen to me and do not perform all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes and your soul detests my laws so that you stop performing my commandments, you have broken my covenant, and I in turn will do this to you. I will wreak misery upon you. It says in Mishle, As water reflects face to face, so does the heart of man to man. This is a reciprocal relationship, the one bringing about the other. We mirror each other just as one good deed brings another in its wake. The reverse is also true. As we read these psukim, these verses outlining exactly how to act in this world, and when that is aligned, the blessings rain down from above, as water reflects water. The psukim, the verses outline that if we deny the truth, the light and life itself, in that sense, the same reflects back to us in this world. There was a son of a tzaddik, a 10-year-old, and he loved to hear his father read the Torah, even when it was the tochacha, the vivid curses. One year, his father was sick and unable to read the tochacha, so someone else read the Torah in his place. When his son heard the tochacha, he fell down to the ground and fainted. He was bedridden for months. Once recovered, he was asked why for the first time the tochacha had such an effect on him. He replied, every year my father reads the tochacha, and when my father reads it, I hear only blessings. We have to realize that it's the same with us. When we realize that the bad is for our good, it's our Abba Hashem putting us through a lesson for our ultimate growth and to put us on the right path. Then we are able to have a faith, and bitachon, trust, that it's all for our own good. Like a tzaddik, like a righteous person, we can take any temporal misery with joy as the concealment of good that will reveal itself soon enough. The Alter Rebbe explains that all the tochecha in this parasha are in fact blessings. The Tzemach Tzedek draws an analogy of this, as recorded in the Talmud when Rav Shimon Bar Yochai sent his son to receive blessings from Rav Yonatan and Rav Yehuda. When his son returned, he complained that he did not receive blessings at all. Quite the opposite, it felt more like tochecha. His father, Rav Shimon, replied that all their words were truly blessings, and as the Tzemach Tzedek explains, because the blessings were so sublime, they were only able to be expressed in such a way. The Talmud asked if they were so sublime that they needed to be disguised as tochecha, how could Rav Shimon interpret them so openly? It's exactly this lesson that we learn in Tanya. The afflictions and suffering in this world are really the goodness of the hidden world, the aspects of the Yud and the He in the Havaya, the holy four-letter name of Hashem, the Tetragrammaton, and it manifests as a shade and not as light and revealed goodness. The Havaya is broken into two aspects, the first Yud and He, signify that which is concealed, levels of the world so sublime that they are hidden and concealed in our current reality. The second half, the letters Vav and He, 
represent the revealed levels of the world that are able to manifest and be seen as good in our current reality. When we accept the suffering of this world with emunah and even joy, then it says in Shoftim, they that love him are as the sun going forth in its might, which is as the world to come where the suffering we endure in this world will be seen for what it truly is, manifest goodness. Rav Shimon Bar sole mission was to reveal Pnimiut Torah, the hidden inner dimensions of the Torah, and in this, souls experience elements of the illumination reserved for the world to come in their present personification. For this reason, Rav Shimon was able to see the reality of the concealed blessings that the rabbis had given to his son. We, of course, are not on the level of Rav Shimon and able to bring down the concealment in such a way as he did with the Zohar, but the lesson is that Tochacha which is seemingly only for our suffering, is actually for the ultimate good. And when we can truly believe that, then we can see the blessings that it will bring and exist in it in joy. The two aspects of the hay and the Havaya bring to mind this necklace that I received from my friend Josh. It's amazing, it's like gorgeous and deep. And his story with this piece of jewelry, which you could see if you're reading my book, or you can go onto the website, lightofinfinite.com, is pretty amazing. He was leading a birthright trip, and the kid saw him admiring the necklace in a very deep and profound way, as if he was divinely drawn to it. They were able to feel the connection he had with it, and so they secretly bought it for him and gifted it to him on the last day of the trip. He wore it for years, and it always kept him connected to being in service and giving. After a few years, he lost the necklace. But then, his grandfather came to him in a dream on Rosh Hashanah. Josh explained to his grandfather how he had lost this precious necklace, and just then his grandfather smiled and pulled the necklace out from under his shirt and put it around Josh's neck. And then, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, he suddenly disappeared. His grandfather had passed away a few years earlier, and it was a gift to see him again. He woke up to the very first rain of the season. The dream state was great, but he woke up with the necklace on his mind. Somehow, the designer Avram Lowenthal heard this story and immediately sent him a new one. Much like Bechukotai outlines the two ways we could choose to act in the world, one bringing blessings and the other blocking them, the necklace signifies how we can emulate our source. The upper and lower hay depicted in this necklace and in the world are about giving, receiving, and oneness. Kabbalistically, the letters that spell out the divine name represent aspects of our inner consciousness. The upper hay represents our desire to give, and the lower hay represents our desire to receive. Our source perpetually gives without the need or desire to receive, and this correlates and is mirrored in the extent to which we give. Meanwhile, the lower hay ascending to the upper hay represents our spiritual awakening to pure giving and unconditional love. This inner transformation, when manifest, enables us to experience the infinite goodness that is the source of all reality. The lower hay is empty because if we focus simply on only receiving, we are hollow. When we recognize the giving nature of the universe and that it's imperative to be in alignment, we can discover that as we attain deeper levels of giving and love, we attain wholeness and deeper levels of divine union. This is why the Hebrew word for ava has hav meaning to give in its root. You'll notice the upper hay is engraved into the necklace. It's only when we attach ourselves in such a way to our source, through the learning of the Torah and keeping of the mitzvot, the commandments lishma, that we can become love, become light, and manifest blessings for ourselves and each other. Oftentimes I'll free verse poetic around my dvars as I'm writing, so I thought I'd end on one inspired by this necklace. Don't trip on the finite minutiae. Don't take ad nauseum. Just give, love, live. The world is infinite and gives to the giving, loves the truly living, and shines light on the ones who create space for it. Dive in deeper at lightofinfinite.com.